Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. The series is called Empowered, and we're looking at uh, how has the Spirit of God empowered us and, and gifted us as followers of Jesus. Today, we're, we're going to be talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. And you're like, oh my gosh, what in the world are we doing today? We're talking about signs, wonders, and miracles, okay? And here's the reason. Now, if you tell me, hey, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but I don't believe in signs, wonders, and miracles... That's like saying Raising Cane's is your favorite restaurant and then saying, but I don't like chicken strips, okay? Because when you go to Raising Cane's and you go to the, the, the kid's meal there, it's two chicken strips. Three-finger combo, it's three chicken strips and some Texas toast and some curly fries, right? Box combo, we're going to get four chicken strips. Oh, they have a sandwich? What's on it? Chicken strips. There's chicken strips everywhere, okay? Now, when you open your Bible and you, and you turn to any page, you're going to find in here signs, wonders, and miracles of a supernatural God who steps into time and space and he reveals himself and we all go, wow. Okay, so, so to say that you believe in Jesus, you believe the Bible is the word of God, and to say, I don't believe in that kind of stuff, is like, you, this chicken strips everywhere in this Bible, okay? So it, it's incompatible with the God of the Bible, and we are people of the word of God. We, we believe that the word of God is inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired, it's God-breathed, and it has power to change our lives. But if we begin to cut off the parts that we're not comfortable with, we have, we have reduced this to something that has lost its power. And so if we're going to be honest, authentic Christians who believe in the word of God, we need to take things like this that are a little bit uncomfortable and we need to, we need to understand them and we need to take them seriously, okay? This is so important for us. Um, Jesus said a really curious thing. In John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, he says this, Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. What? Have you read the Gospels of Jesus to see the works that he was doing? And he will do even greater works than these. Oh, that's crazy. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What? These are astounding words that we hear, and we read what Jesus did, and we're like, no way. Like, there's, there's no way. But yet, this is what Jesus has told us. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we're like, yeah, I believe in the signs, wonders, and miracles in the Bible, Right? That, all that's, that's true. But does that happen today? 
Or, or did that end? Like, right? I, I haven't seen that and with my own eyes. I've heard some stories on the internet, right? But I haven't seen it. So is that happening today? Does it really happen today? Should, should we still pray for them and expect them to happen? Or how about this? Does asking for a miracle mean that my faith is weak? That I don't trust in God's sovereignty or that his scripture is sufficient for me? Like if I ask for this, is it like almost like I'm one of those people that doesn't really have enough faith? Is my faith weak? I think these are questions that we have to be honest with when we talk about something like signs and wonders and miracles. And that's what we're going to dive into today. Last, I mean, on week two, Jason did an amazing job talking about cessationist view versus what we call a continuationist view. In short, a cessationist believes that certain uh, revelatory gifts of the Spirit ceased at the end of the, the apostolic age, right? When, when the Bible was canonized, boom, we don't need that anymore, right? However, as people who are, are serious about scripture, we never ever find in here a clause where it says, and when the council, uh, you know, meets and they canonize the Bible, then the perfect has come and no more of that stuff, that signs, wonders, miracles kind of stuff. We never find that. In fact, the, when it talks about the perfect coming, it talks about the perfect one returning, Jesus Christ. Okay, so up until that time, in this age that we're in right now, this, this New Testament age that we're in, we are expecting that God is still working in the same ways that he was working in our Bibles. He's still at work today. Um, so you probably know where we stand on that now. First Corinthians chapter 12, we're working through the gift list. There's nine gifts that are listed, and these are the ones that are more overt, Okay, because there's, there's other places that we talked about where it's teaching and it's service and it's leadership and administration and giving. And, and those are probably a little bit more self-explanatory. But when we get into these, this is where all the confusion and probably a lot of the, oh my gosh, that's weird. I've seen some crazy stuff. I don't know if I want to go down that road. Like that's where we start having all those feelings about the, the scriptures here. So we're spending time on these nine during this series because we know that's the reality for most of us in this room. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives the list. We've been reading it each week, and we'll do that again this morning. In verse 4, he says this, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person, verse seven, a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, at the beginning of that, we saw this, that this is the same Lord who's producing all these things, which means this, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's all about him. We talked about that last week. All of this is about him. This is not about, oh, so-and-so has this gift. Like, let's put them on this special like, pedestal, and we're all going to be like, oh, would you, would you pray for me? Because you're the most spiritual person on planet Earth. No, that is not the point of what we're talking about here today. Paul is actually trying to dismantle this, this elitist mentality that has come into the church of like, man, oh, that guy right there, he's really got it. But this one over here, oh, they just serve. No, 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 no. Every single one of these is to be brought up and say, man, this is, this is all so important. Every gift that God gives is important and of equal value to us as the body of Christ. And he gets into this one part, this, this section that we're going to talk about today. And he says that in verse 10, to another, the performing of miracles. What in the world does that mean? Well, first of all, I want you to know this. When it says performing of miracles, that's probably the, it's, it's most uh, literal translation is workings of powers, plural and plural, workings of powers, that people are given a, a manifestation of the spirit where they are able to uh, perform a miracle that we all go like, whoa, that was insane. That's, that was a God thing, okay? So workings of powers, and it says that a manifestation of the Spirit is given. And what does the word manifest mean? It, it means that, that something that was obscured to us that we couldn't see, that we couldn't perceive, all of a sudden it's like, boom, now I can perceive it. I can see it. It's clear to me right? It's, it's revealed. Like we, we use that word in, in other contexts when something is manifest. It's like, oh, now I can see it. Right? I, I can perceive. And so this uh, is important for us because I think a lot of times when we think about a spiritual gift, we think like this is my gift that I possess and it's my gift. And, and if you could just put a little plaque that I'm going to wear around the church and it says like, you know, this per performing of miracles, that's mine. No. Here's why I say that. The only person to bat a thousand who could do miracles at will was Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's ever been able to do that. And even people who have like these incredible, extraordinary, like, you know, miraculous things, they don't bat a thousand. And I think it's, it's, it's not helpful for us to think of as this is something that I just keep and it's my gift and I, and I get to use it at will. It's like, no, 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 this is God. God gives the gift. God uses the gift. And sometimes you pray for something and nothing happens. And you're like, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. Only Jesus bat a thousand. That's important for us because when we talk about these things, many times we believe if someone can do it once, they should be able to do it every time. And if they can't do it every time, then it's not legit. And that's not how it works. Okay? So, workings of powers, signs, wonders, miracles. What I want to do this morning is I want to give you five purposes for a miracle. But before we do that, I want us just to define the word. 
because miracle is a word that we throw around a lot. In fact, my wife is training me how to say the word because I say the word miracle like America, okay? And every time I say it, she cringes. Do you, do, you, do you have like words like that? People around you say those words and you're like, oh, that's not how you pronounce that, right? I had a friend who would say forest, but he would say forest. We're going to the forest. Have you been to the forest? It's like, it's forest. Or how about this one? Pillow, but you say my pel pillow. It's not an e; it's an i. Pillow, okay, right? So we, I'm learning. So if I slip up, forgive me. Have grace. Miracle, okay. I'm learning how to say the word miracle, and it's a word we throw around. For example, on Black Friday, you go up to whatever store you like to go to, and you find a front row parking slot spot, and you say what? It's a miracle. I'm anointed today, right? Thank you, Lord. I have the favor of God on my life because I got a parking spot. We, we throw it around. But it's, it's really uh, also, we would say, when the most awe-inspiring, incredible, only God could do this kind of thing happens because somebody prayed and you're like, it's a miracle, Right, so we, we, we need to define the word for ourselves just to sort of make sure that we uh, don't miss it. I was watching a movie called Miracles from Heaven. Have you all seen that, that, that movie before? Have you all heard of that movie? I'm the only one that watched the movie. Wow, Holly, thank you. Miracles from Heaven. You should watch this movie. It's actually fantastic. It's got some A-list actors in it. It's about a, 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 a young girl named Annabelle Beam. She was diagnosed with two rare life-threatening disorders that basically caused her, her stomach to be uh, distended because food would not pass through. And you can imagine it was incredibly painful. And she would you know, often have to go to the doctor. She was going back and forth to specialists like across the country uh, on a regular basis. She's being hospitalized. And there were moments where they thought like, this is it. Like this is, this is basically over for her. We, we don't see this getting any better. There's no cure for this kind of disorder. And um, she was home one afternoon with her sisters. They had climbed up this old cottonwood tree that was rotten. And uh, they got up to the sort of the top. They're sitting up there. And at some point, she kind of steps on the center part. And there was like an old like chopped limb area that had gotten weak. And she falls down 30 feet down the center of a hollowed out tree straight on her face. And uh, it took like five hours for them to get her out of the tree. They get her out of the tree. And all of her stomach situation, all the, the, the diseases they couldn't cure, go away. Like, they just go away. And so the parents are like, they're like, what in the world happened? Right? They're asking the doctors, like, so my daughter falls headfirst 30 feet onto her skull, doesn't break her head open, doesn't break her neck, uh, doesn't get some other major you know, problem, and, and comes out healed? Like, what in the world happened to her? Well, the daughter tells them, when I was in the tree, I saw my body. And I, I, I left. And she said, I spoke to Jesus. And Jesus said... Um, 
you have to go back. She was in so much pain. She's like, can I please stay with you? Can I please stay with you? He says, no, I have other purposes for you. You have to go back. But when you go back, you're going to be completely healed. And guess what? She's completely healed. The mom gave a speech um, at a a gathering like this uh, after her daughter was declared healed. And she confessed that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the the daughter wanting to die because she was in so much pain, she said, I lost my faith. I lost my faith. Um, She said, but now I see miracles everywhere. She started to look back on their, at their journey. She could see the little moments where it's like, that shouldn't have happened, but it did. Uh, we shouldn't have been able to afford that, but we were able to. This, this happened, and she could go back, and she could piece together and say, I see miracles everywhere. You know, if we think about life, that we're alive right now, there's your breath in our lungs, that your eyeball is looking at me right now and, and it, light is coming in and it's like going into your eye and then you know your brain is somehow reading that information and turning it into something. Like that's all really miraculous if you stop to think about it. Like all of life is incredibly miraculous. And when we're talking about the performing of miracles, Paul's not necessarily talking about all the little things that we could point at and be like, man, that was, that's a miracle. But rather what Paul has in mind is a girl falling 30 feet down, not dying, and actually becoming healed. It's, this is a a definition that I think is helpful. It says, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder, and get this, bears witness to himself. I think that's an important part to understand. A less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. That's what we're talking about today. So let's talk about the purpose of miracles. And here's here's the question I'm hoping this will speak to. Should we even ask for this today? Number one, miracles are a confirmation of the gospel of Christ. Let me say that again. Miracles are a confirmation of the gospel of Christ. In, in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, it says, The salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him, his eyewitnesses. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to to his will. He says this, look, this gospel was spoken of by Jesus and people saw him come back to life and they said, no, for real, he's back alive and we believed it. But then God also testified by signs, wonders, and miracles. We were like, our, it was like this, you know, our awe and our wonder was like, oh my gosh, like this is legit. This is 
for real. They confirmed the gospel of Christ. In Acts chapter 8, we, we learn about Philip, and he's one of these guys that was sort of like a second generation uh, um, a follower of Jesus, and he's been dispersed because of the persecution in Jerusalem. And it says that uh, the crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened, and they saw the signs he was performing. So he's proclaiming the gospel to people who'd never heard about this before. And then God's moving with signs and wonders and miracles. And they're like, this is for real. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Wow. You see, miracles are an exclamation point on the gospel of Jesus. Miracles are the work of God in which he testifies to what his people are testifying. Does that make sense? I think one of the reasons why maybe we don't see more miracles is that we're not testifying more often to people about the Jesus that they may not know or maybe they've heard about or they've heard a version of Jesus, but it's not Jesus. And we, we, we begin to tell people about that. I would not be surprised if we see more and more of God just stepping in and going, flexing his muscles. And we're like, what? Because it's, it's a confirmation of the gospel of Jesus. Now, let me tell you this. This is also the litmus test for a miracle sign and wonder. Does it confirm the gospel of Jesus? Why do I say that? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. This is crazy. Here's what it says. The coming of the lawless one, talking about the Antichrist, is based on Satan's working. With every, get this, with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders serving, not the gospel, it says serving the lie. And with, with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. He's saying, look, heads up, everyone. Signs, wonders, and miracles will continue in the church, but there's another one coming that's going to do signs, wonders, and miracles, but it's not going to serve the gospel. It's going to serve the lie, and you need to be prepared for that, okay? We're going to see more and more of these things as time moves closer and closer to Jesus returning. We're going to see it in the church, and they're going to be authentic, and they're going to be serving the gospel of Jesus, but we're also going to start to see some crazy stuff, like when Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he throws a staff down, and it turns into a snake, and his Pharaoh's sorcerers also throw a staff down, and it turns into a snake, and they're like, oh, you can do that too? Wow. There's spiritual power in darkness, right? But it is not sovereign power that our God has to bring life and goodness and wholeness and flourishing. So we do need to be careful. We have a litmus test. Does it confirm the gospel? At the beginning of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's dealing with people who had just come out of some crazy pagan stuff. And he says, look, I, I know you were led astray by mute idols, no one speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus, be cursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's concerned for them that they're going to be led astray by something that's supernatural. And he's like, look, this has to confirm the gospel. Second thing, second purpose of a miracle is to demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come. So important. They demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come. In Luke chapter four, there's a story of Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue as usual, just like going to church on Sunday. He goes to synagogue, and they hand him the scroll. I guess Jesus was like the star pupil of synagogue. They hand him the scroll to read that morning, and he opens it to Isaiah, what we call chapter 61, and he begins to read to them, and he reads the part that says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Whoa, that's a miracle. To set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he just says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. Boom. Powerful moment. Jesus is saying, look, this is the kingdom of God. And here's what it's going to look like. The poor are going to hear good news. The captives are going to get released. The blind are going to see. The oppressed are going to be set free. And the, the proclamation of the, of the year of the Lord's favor will be made. This is the kingdom. Fast forward, what does Jesus teach his disciples to do? Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's here. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He trains his disciples in this. Look, you're going to go and you're going to tell, and then God's going to move and do some crazy stuff, and it's going to show them the kingdom's here now. It's here. Miracles demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come near. Disciples declare and demonstrate the kingdom of heaven, which included the working of signs, wonders, and miracles. So we have the, the, the miracles are the confirmation of the gospel message. They demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come near. The third one is this, and this one's really, really obvious. Miracles help those in need. Like a little girl whose stomach is in pain 24-7 and wants to die because it hurts so bad. And a miracle happens because she needs help. That's what we see all over the stories of Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on us. What can I do for you? And Jesus steps in and he performs a miracle because he has a heart to help people in need. This is the heart of God, full of compassion, full of mercy, helping those in need. The fourth purpose of miracles is to remove hindrances to people's ministries. They remove hindrances to people's ministries. I love this um, because on the mission field, you hear these stories. They're like, we had one truck and it was kind of janky but it was working and we were driving the Bibles into this area and then the truck died. And we're like, what are we gonna do? We can't get the Bibles in there. And so we gathered around the hood of the truck and we prayed for it. And then we started the engine back up and it rained fine and we went on going. It's like, why did that happen? God's removing a hindrance to their ministry. 
We have a story of Tabitha in the book of Acts, chapter 9. She's in Joppa. We learn about Tabitha. Her, her name was Dorcas, which is translated as Tabitha, so Dorcas. Um, she became ill and died, and she was always doing these good works in acts of charity, and Peter was in the next town over, and the disciples heard, like, oh, Peter's just, like, in the next town. So they, they go and get Peter and bring him here to uh, Joppa, and it says that he prays for her, and then he says, Tabitha, get up. And she got up. And we can assume she went back to doing good works and acts of charity. Dying was a hindrance to her ministry. And, and Peter's like, no, let's just pray for that. <laughs> and she was raised from the dead. Wow. That's crazy. So we, we, we see this throughout scripture that miracles remove hindrances to people's ministry. The last one is this, and this is, this is key. Miracles bring glory to God. That's what they do. I mean, people can't look at us and say, how did you do that? Like, we, we didn't, we, we don't, we have nothing to do with that. We prayed, God decided to move on his sovereign will, and he did something that we, we really can't take credit for. It's all about him. Glory to God. They bring glory to God. Now, here's the question. You might believe all of that. Yes, all that's great. But does that really happen today? Does this still happen? Craig Keener um, wrote a book. He's, he's a PhD from Duke University, one of the most highly regarded evangelical New Testament scholars in the world. He's a professor currently at, of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary, and he wrote a two-volume, 1,172 uh, pages on miracles. And here's what he did, is he first talks about miracles in the Bible, and then he goes through all uh, uh, Christian, you know, church history from the Middle Ages to present day, and he goes with this rigorous standard of like medical, uh, you know, proof and eyewitness testimony, and he documents thousands of miracles from Middle Ages to now. So when you're asking the question, do they still happen today? The answer is they've never stopped happening. Like literally, throughout the whole life of the church, these have been happening. And we have records of thousands of them after the canon of scripture was closed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sam Storm shares a story, and this was fascinating to me. Um, Sam Storms, um, this is the book I've been using as we teach through. If you want a great resource to learn more about this, it's called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. I hi highly recommend this book. Here's an example. Uh, Sam Storms served as an associate pastor um, at, a, at IHOP in Kansas City. And here's what he shares. On Wednesday night, April 13th, 1983, senior pastor Mike Bickle sensed the Lord leading him to call a 21-day church-wide fast to pray for God's purposes in the city. Mike decided the fast was to begin on May 7th. The next day, a man named Bob Jones told Mike that God would confirm this revelation by sending a sign in the heavens that could not be the product of human engineering. 
he said this, God is going to send a comet in the heavens that as of today, no scientist or astronomer anywhere in the world has discovered or predicted. It will come as a complete surprise to them and will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has called this time of prayer and fasting and that he fully intends to bring revival to this city and to this country. So what happens? Well, um, there was a comet that was discovered about 11 days later. It was called the Iris Araki Alcock. It was uh, first discovered in data relayed to Earth on April 25th by the infrared astronomical satellite known as IRIS. I don't know what all that means. And then independently confirmed by two amateur astronomers, a man named Jinichi Araki in Japan and another named uh, GED Alcock in England who saw it with binoculars from, from his window. Although it was not extremely large comet, it came closer to Earth than any comet in more than 200 years and remains the second closest encounter in history. Whoa. When May 7th arrived and the fast was to begin, numerous pastors from other churches in the city were present. Mike had each of them introduce themselves at the beginning of the meeting, but the most exciting moment of that day came when Bob Jones walked in with that day's edition of the Independence Examiner. News of the comment had finally reached the newspapers. The headline read, Comments Pass to Give Close View. The article went on to report, Scientists will have a rare chance next week to study a recently discovered comet that is coming with the extremely close range of 3 million miles. Dr. Jerry Neusbauer, principal U.S. investigator on the, the International Infrared Astronomical Satellite Project, said, it was sheer good luck we happened to be looking where the comet was passing. Whoa. That's amazing, right? It's amazing. By the way, it went on. On the final day of the fast, Bob Jones delivered what had to be, um, would have been a disconcerting word. He said, the Lord spoke to me in a dream last night and said that revival will not begin immediately as we had thought. God will withhold his move upon this city until the appointed time and season. And when it comes, it will not be a day late. And he said this, God is gonna send another sign. There will be a three-month drought in the natural over this city, even as there will be a three-month drought in the spirit. But on August 23rd, it will rain as a sign to you that God's time, he will send the rain of the spirit even as he has promised. Guess what happened? A drought hit. It was actually a six-month-long drought. But three months into it, on August 23rd, the heavens opened and rain fell down. And people had gathered at the church that day waiting in preparation for what this person had told them was going to happen. And they said when the rain came down on August 23rd, people were running through the parking lot of the church like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> How do we account for these kinds of things in the life of the church except to say that God is still doing the very same things that he's done throughout the, the, this, the scripture's history that we have. Signs, wonders, and miracles.
So let's close with this. How do we pursue this particular manifestation of the Spirit? How would we use it? Well, I think it's very, very simple. And again, it's not about me and it's not about you. We do this simply by faith. It's the first thing, by faith. In Galatians chapter three, verse five, Paul, who's talking to a Galatian church that had been infiltrated by what people called the Judaizers that were telling them, look, you gotta keep the law of Moses and believe in Jesus. It was Jesus plus. And he says this, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Question mark. Or is it by believing what you heard? Jesus said this, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do. The scriptures call us not to working ourselves up, to do a certain you know, order of things. It calls us to faith. We pursue by faith. And the second thing is this, through prayer. Through prayer. Sam Storms, he says this in the book, I rarely hear of a miracle that occurs independently of some Christian man or woman or a collection of them praying and pressing into God for a display of his supernatural power. Can God do a miracle without people praying? Yes, he can, because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But does God continually choose to do it through his people pressing in with faith and prayer? Yes, he does. Over and over and over again. It's by faith through prayer. Now, you know this. Prayer is just us talking to God and listening to God. It's communication. And it's sometimes as we're praying that we find more confidence to pray for something. Have you ever felt that before? You're praying for something, and it's a big thing, and you're praying for it. And sometimes you're like, Lord, please bless that person. That's terrible. Help them, Jesus, right? And you're praying that. But then sometimes you pray that, and you're just like, there's just this surge of confidence that's like not from you. And you're like, do we need to pray? And it's as you're praying that prayers start to get empowered, okay? I think it's important. The Bible says repeatedly to pray in the Spirit. There's praying with an awareness of the Spirit's presence and work, and it makes it electric, like this, this sense of confidence, like we've got to pray. But we pray, and then we find more strength to pray. Faith and prayer. And as we close, here's what I want to call us to. This is where we're going as a church body. Um, Jason said this earlier. He didn't know that I was going to say this. But here's what I think this calls us to. I think this calls us to think a little bit differently. Because if we're honest, we live in a very naturalistic world, a very materialistic world. And if like A plus B doesn't equal C, we're like, eh, I don't know about that. Right? It's like, and when we start talking about these kinds of things, we have to shift our mindset to remember who God has revealed himself to be over and over again, a supernatural God who does signs and wonders and miracles. And so today, if you've grown cynical, right? If you've grown skeptical, I just want you to remember the God of the Bible, 
Remember who he is and that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.